The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Good morning, family. It is great to be with you all. Uh, Our hope is that you have experienced just a a blessed time of celebration and and rest, uh, connection with God and with loved ones in this sacred season. So once again, Merry Christmas. It is still Christmas for a few more days. And also, of course, happy 2023. You are, you made it, you're here. I'm not quite as impressed as the tens of people that showed up for the 9 a.m. service, but you (laughs) made it nonetheless. If you partied too hard last night, you were hiding it very well. Um, but it is this, this new year. And, and, and actually, you know, the Christian year started like a month ago at the beginning of Advent. So we're already, all of us, a month behind on resolutions. So let's not be too hard on ourselves. Grace abounds. Uh, in any case, the, the Gregorian calendar, as we know it, has turned. And that uh, tends to, to put most of us in a, a reflective mode, looking back, looking forward. And so many things came to mind for me when I was uh, looking ahead, uh, you know, to, to these months of, of 2023. What am I looking forward to? And one of them that, that came to mind being this alarming and unbelievable notion that Lauren and I's oldest child, Miles, will be turning 10 years old this year. That does not seem possible. He has grown up literally in, in this room. Uh, and perhaps unsurprisingly, given that we've been in these weeks of, of Advent, this, this time of pregnant anticipation, this cosmic birth story, my thoughts have traveled a decade into the past to our own. Um, so, so naively, I thought I was ready when, <laughs> when Miles was born. We'd, we'd made all the preparations, we read the books, we'd written the birth plan, we got the boppy and the bumbo and all the, the things you're, you're, they tell you you need. And the time came and Lauren's strength was stunning But nothing could have possibly prepared me for the moment that he entered the world. It it felt like a a lightning bolt, must feel. I can't even look at the picture, right? Just a sudden, violent overload of every cell, every synapse, feeling everything all at once, just joy and gratitude and awe and utter terror. But above all, a love unlike anything I'd ever previously known, that nothing would ever or will ever be as it had been before this arrival, and oh my Lord, how scared I was, I was going to drop him. But I held my son, and this startling truth cascaded through my whole being, this voice clearly heard saying, your life is no longer your own. So we have a choice in this season as we always do. So will this Christmas story, the the absolutely illogical, the ludicrous, scandalous notion that our loving creator, the alpha and omega sovereign of the universe, so loved us that they entered into our messy humanity in absolute vulnerability as a, a refugee infant, come to live alongside us in friendship, come to dismantle systems of injustice, Will that story be reduced to a sanitized seasonal aesthetic, a manger scene to be boxed up and put away until it's pulled out again this time next year? Or or will we be uncomfortably transformed by what this incarnation truly asks of us? 
Or to put it more plainly, will this indeed be a new year or a more of the same year? So this tension is modeled well in an encounter which I've, I've found increasingly rich and impactful the more time I've spent with it. So we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. And the shepherds have long since departed, the Magi gone back to the east. And in the time after Jesus' birth, there were various Mosaic laws that needed to be followed. So the baby was circumcised, and, and uh, there was a period of postpartum purification required of Mary. And the time had come for this baby to be dedicated and a sacrifice offered at the temple in Jerusalem, which is where we pick up. And it tells us that while fulfilling these sacred obligations at the temple, they encountered a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. And he was a just and pious man, anticipating the liberation of Israel from her troubles. He was a man in touch with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's anointed one. The Spirit had led him to the temple that day. And there he saw the child Jesus in the arms of his parents who were fulfilling their sacred obligations. And Simeon took Jesus into his arms and blessed God. So many of you uh, parents at Ecclesia have experienced something, something similar, I imagine, in bringing your infants for their first visit to the church. It's almost guaranteed that, that Chris or myself or another pastor, one of us is going to try and snatch your baby. It's just, it's going to happen. It's a reality. We always give them back, but we can't help it. Like each, each new life is this, this gift of joy, this unique and beautiful blessing, an answer to, to countless prayers, an embodiment of hope and possibility. It's, it's a miracle. It's an occasion for rejoicing. How much more so than, than is this the case for Simeon in his aged days, holding in his own arms the child whom he believes with unwavering certainty to be this long-awaited Messiah, literally cradling, gazing down upon the incarnate God of the universe, and you think I was scared holding my baby. And Simeon speaks, awestruck. He says, now, now, Lord and King, you can let me, your humble servant, die in peace. You promised me that I would see with my own eyes what I'm seeing now. Your freedom, raised up in the presence of all peoples. He is the light who reveals your message to the other nations, and he is the shining glory of your covenant people. Israel. And so this is the good news of rescue for everyone. This light cast not merely upon Israel, upon this select few, but that this covenant family in Christ become the place from which that light of liberation shines upon all people, all nations. So when first reading this, I, I wondered about what Simeon is saying here, essentially just Take my life, Lord, now that I've, I've seen you, I'm done. And one might hear that and make, like I initially did, a, a false assumption that maybe Simeon is, is welcoming death so as to not be disappointed if and when this child grows to become anything other than this liberating Savior, not to get his hopes up lest they be dashed. But that's not what this gospel is doing. So Luke begins his his gospel, or, or his two-act volume, Luke and, and the book of Acts, or a shared narrative and authorship. 
linking the narrative of Christ and the early church. But he opens his gospel by stating his intent to provide what he calls an, an orderly account of the things fulfilled. And he does this through the gathering of, of eyewitness testimonies. So it's unknown who attested to, the, to this encounter as a matter of historical record, but what's most important here is the symbol. What it represents is that faithful, righteous Simeon is representative of a, a crucial prophetic fulfillment. That his contentment, his willingness to die is a sign that the era of the law and the prophets has, has passed. This new age, the new law, the new covenant is right here. It's embodied in this tiny child that Simeon is holding. We're turning the page. Now this is where this, this encounter gets a little less rosy because Simeon knows that this good news will not be received as such by all, especially those in power, especially those with a vested interest in maintaining the status quo. So it goes on, it says his, his father and mother, Mary and Joseph, were, were stunned to hear Simeon say these things. Simeon went on to bless them both, and to Mary in particular he gave predictions. And Simeon says, listen, this child will make many in Israel rise and fall. He will be a significant person whom many will oppose. In the end, he will lay bare the secret hearts of many. And a sword will pierce even your own soul, Mary. Jesus is the cornerstone that the builders will reject. Come to establish peace, but whose arrival will bring about deep divisions. The darkness and, and hatred, the, the idolatry, the selfishness, the hypocrisy in the hearts of humanity, it will be exposed. Mother Mary, you will suffer. The Song of Simeon does two things at once. It, it celebrates in the incarnation and it grieves in the foreshadowing of the cross. And so I ask again, as the, as the lights are beginning to come down, as trees make their way to the curb? Have we only been singing pretty songs this whole time? Or are we offering the fullness of our lives in allegiance to the glory of the newborn king? Because that second part is going to cost us something. It's going to hurt. But Simeon wasn't the only individual drawn toward Mary and Joseph and the baby that day. So, so Luke has a, a particular emphasis among the gospel accounts of, of providing a balance of a female witness. And the story continues this way. It says, at, at that very moment, an elderly woman named Anna stepped forward. Anna was a prophetess. It's the only time in the gospel that title is bestowed. And Anna was the, the daughter of, of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. And she had been married for seven years before her husband died and a widow to her current age of 84 years. She was deeply devoted to the Lord, constantly in the temple, fasting and praying. When she approached Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, she began speaking out thanks to God. And she continued spreading the word about Jesus to all those who shared her hope for the rescue of Jerusalem. And so this is perhaps the first woman preacher in the Gospels. And this account suggests that Anna had spent maybe the past 50 years, at least, rarely if ever leaving the temple, praying and waiting and hoping. And 
I don't know about you, but that kind of patience is not a fruit of the spirit that's growing in particular abundance in my own spiritual orchard? Did she not experience frustration, disillusionment, doubts? Was her faith not tested and strained by year 49? Maybe, I'd say likely, as she's only human, but she kept showing up anyway. So this, this is the undeniable commonality between these two elderly witnesses. Their lives were shaped by the steadfast, expectant hope which has led them to this day, a hope which has, has manifested in, in faithful practice and presence over, over literally decades. And on this day, their patience and their trust has been rewarded in, in this remarkable encounter. It has not been a passive hope. The Holy Spirit may have directed Simeon to the temple that day, but, but Simeon got up, got dressed, and walked his way there. That was a choice. So hear me clearly. Hope shows up because today, it might be the day. No one else in the temple that we're aware of turns an eye, but Simeon and Anna recognize Jesus precisely because they have been looking for him. And so let's talk for a few moments, the remainder of our time, about resolutions or what we might call instead reorienting our intention, determination, our focus, our purpose, our presence in light of the incarnation, or what we might call more simply hope showing up. So maybe you're in a season of desiring deeper connection with God and community, and and perhaps this is a time to renew your commitments or, or to, you know, to, to establish those rhythms here as a part of, of the church. And that looks like an, any number of things. And you can serve with our, our, our kids. It's a huge need right now, I'll be honest. We've had a number of volunteers in, in seasons of life transition. You can serve alongside in our care for our vulnerable and, and unhoused friends and, and provide a meal and, and to serve and share a meal even once a month, 12 times over the course of the coming year. And not committing forever, but for, for now and consistently. And I've got to tell you, we, we have multiple people every week asking, yeah, how can I join a small group? And we would love to help you do that. What we don't have, honestly, is enough people raising their hand and saying, you know, I, I don't really know what this looks like, but I'd, lo- I'd love to help maybe start a group. I'd love to help host a group. Can you help me do that? And we would love more than anything to help you do that because these can be such challenging rhythms to establish, let alone to maintain, but that's what we can provide for one another in community. And maybe you're recognizing that that the time is necessary or or overdue for cutting off a harmful vice. And a word of caution, be prepared for significant inner turmoil and opposition. The, The enemy of your soul does not wish you free from that binding. So have a plan in place. Have accountability set up with those you trust. You know, I've been open about the dimension of addiction in my own story, and I've been floored continually by by so many in our community who have 
have come and shared their own trials or those they're, they're in the midst of with, with loved ones. These are not paths that we can nor are we meant to walk alone. Again, this is why we need one another. Or maybe you're in a season where to, to, to show up for others, to be better present in care for others, you may need to begin by showing up for yourself in, in simple but profoundly healing ways. I'm, I'm putting myself in, in this category, by the way. These are things I'm not doing currently. <laughs> Going to sleep on time, drinking water, uh, reading more, watching less, moving my body. You know, uh, this time last year, I was two weeks away from running my first marathon. I don't even recognize this guy anymore. <laughs> I haven't run in months. And I've been deeply embarrassed when some of you have asked me, hey, Mike, how's the running going? Not well. <laughs> but we can only start from where we are, not from where we want to be. And if you're anything like me, you know that inertia is just, it's a killer. But start somewhere, make it specific, make it doable, and then most importantly, keep showing up. We hear it in the book of James this way. It says, my brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the return of the Lord. Look, the farmer knows how to wait patiently for the land to produce vegetables and fruits. He cannot harvest a freshly planted seed. Instead, he waits for the early and the late showers to nourish the soil. You need the same kind of patience. So in the meantime, strengthen your resolve because the Lord will be coming soon. So the change, the, the, the growth you desire does not happen overnight. It takes time. It will be slow. It will feel too slow. Discomfort is unavoidable, but discomfort and pain are not the same thing. Discomfort is adaptation. It's a sign that your body, your mind, your soul are learning rhythms other than those to which they had grown accustomed so ultimately, we're not even talking about resolutions. We're talking about something much more akin to what you maybe have, have heard called a rule of life. Practices that form habits that then reshape our hearts. Growth is gradual, and it will wither and die when left in the soil of best intentions. Among the, the, the many mantras I borrowed from Pastor Sean, one he quotes often, especially this time of year is from our friend John Ortberg, who summarizes it thusly, habits eat willpower for breakfast. Now that kind of bluntness, I totally get it, can be received as really harsh and push us maybe toward even feelings of, of futility or shame in, in our, our perceived failures over past seasons. I've heard people say, well, I don't, I don't make resolutions because I, I inevitably fail and then I just feel bad about myself about it. But this is the reality that unhealthy habits are hard to break. Healthy habits are even harder to begin, harder still to maintain. But more to the point, we're not talking about lists or check boxes, goal setting. We're talking about love. I love this quote. Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, the author of The Little Prince, says it this way. He says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and don't assign them tasks and work, 
but rather teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. When the deepest, truest, most urgent longing of your hearts is to be in relationship with Jesus, our liberator, come to us as this tiny, fragile child who wants to be close to you. It's then and only then that your actions, your habits will follow suit. So this is relationship. This is not resolution. This is not a self-improvement project. It's embracing the deeper truth that your identity is and always has been and always will be beloved. That's the truth. It's not how many pounds you lose, how many books you read, which will point you toward flourishing in this new year. And so the wisdom of these witnesses and the temple reminds us that, that we have little say over the results, but can continue nonetheless to choose worshipful presence, patience, attentiveness, come what may, if you continue showing up to the discomfort of a new habit, to the vulnerability of, of community, to the often frustrating silence of prayer, you will encounter God eventually, perhaps in ways you, you never could have anticipated. And you'll look back on this year and, and be blown away, but it will not have happened all at once. Far more likely that change, that transformation will have, have come one faithful day at a time. Emmanuel, God with us, God with you. God will show up. If the Christmas story has told us anything, it's that God will show up. This is what God does. God shows up. And so this year, no, forget this year, today, how will your hope show up? Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.